This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. My name is Deborah Yao, and I'm senior editor for Knowledge at Wharton. Here with me today is Nikolai Rusinov, a finance professor at the Wharton School. And he's here to talk about his paper, Short-Run Pain, Long-Run Gain, Recessions and Technological Transformation. Uh, the paper talks generally about what happens during recessions when there is a technological change as it relates to what companies do and, and their workforce. Um, so welcome, Nikolai. Thank you very much, Deborah, for inviting me. Can you tell us more about your research? Of course. So this is a joint work with uh, Mathieu Deschard du Michel, who was an assistant professor here at Wharton and is now uh, at Cornell University, uh, and uh, Alex Kaputov, who is a PhD student in uh, our uh, finance department here, uh, here at Wharton. And in this uh, paper, we examined the role of technological transformation on the changing composition of the U.S. labor force uh, over the last uh, 20 years, but also focusing in particular on what happened during the Great Recession and uh, and since uh, the Great Recession and the years uh, years subsequently, and uh, you know, the key fact that we are, are kind of interested in understanding is that we we all know that employment fell dramatically during the Great Recession, and it was also slow to come back up following uh, the recession during the the, the recovery, and this of course is a well known fact. What is perhaps less uh, well understood is why did the jobs that did return were primarily uh, uh, sort of the higher skill jobs or higher skill kind of cognitive quote unquote jobs, meaning uh, jobs that require fairly uh, high level of education and uh, uh, kind of working with um, information technology or, or, or working creatively and so on, and did not really uh, help uh, kind of lower skill or so-called routine jobs, jobs uh, on the factory assembly line, for example, um, to recover as much. And in particular, what we wanted to understand is what is the role um, of the Great Recession itself in, uh, in this sort of job polarization uh, process that we have observed. Uh, and uh, what we were trying to, what, what we're trying to do is to, we were trying to combine, um, the logic of, uh, kind of long-term technological transformation, we know that uh, the, the improvements in the information technology, automation, uh, robotics have uh, shifted the demand for uh, labor from kind of low-skill uh, routine uh, work to more kind of higher-skill uh, occupations. What is not very well understood is what is the role of, uh, kind of the recessions and economic downturns in in driving this process. So what did you find? So in combining this uh, uh, kind of logic of uh, long-term technological transformation with a fairly standard you know, business cycle analysis, we find that indeed um, in a model that is uh, kind of aimed at matching the long-term trend and the decline of the, you know, the share of routine workers, basically in you know, a long-term uh, job polarization, uh, can also account for the magnitude of uh, this accelerated job polarization during, uh, during the recession, in particular during the Great Recession. 
So you talk about this job polarization in the economy. Uh, should we be concerned about that? Or is it just another step forward as uh, the economy transitions to uh, uh, another technology? Right. So this is, uh, this is a very important question. So what is job polarization? So far, I've talked about low-skilled low jobs disappearing and higher-skilled jobs uh, increasing their share of the total, uh, total employment. Well, when people talk about job polarization, what they really mean is the disappearance of the middle-class uh, job, the, the, the hollowing out of the middle of the wage distribution. So the jobs that traditionally were kind of the mainstay of uh, of, of America, the factory assembly line jobs, machine operator jobs. If we go back to the 80s, let's say, you know, typists, we had a lot of typists and computers came about and uh, those, jobs, uh, those jobs disappeared. Well, what is happening is that, of course, there is a growing demand for high-skilled, educated uh, workers, um, but also there is an in kind of increasing share of, uh, of employment that is attributable to kind of lower-skill uh, but non-routine workers in the sense that workers who cannot be easily replaced by you know, machines or computers, for example, or hairdressers or even you know, janitors um, and so on. So when we, but when we talk about polarization, this is exactly what we mean. The, the distribution of wages becomes more polarized. We have very high-skill workers and we have very low-skill workers, but you know, this middle is in some sense disappearing. And why this is important and whether this is a good thing or a bad thing it's not an e you know, easy question to answer. In a sense, in, in our model, the way we, we set it up, this is a natural process. The new technology comes about, and this technology is much more kind of skill-intensive. And the natural thing that happens is that um, de there's demand for high-skill workers, so the workers should go and, uh, and train, become high-skill, acquire, acquire these, uh, these skills that are in demand. Uh, and kind of everything is how it should be. The question is whether this is actually happening in reality to the to the same extent that our kind of maybe somewhat uh, stylized model uh, would predict. And a lot of the concern that uh, people have, uh, in, in, both in the in the academic circles and in the policy circles, is that some of the skill transformation and skill acquisition is actually not happening, and we have uh, declines in labor force participation that are not fully explained by people going back to school, say, to acquire skills and then coming back. This is kind of what our models say that should be happening. Of course, we know in reality, yes, uh, school enrollment, post-secondary enrollment did jump up in the Great Recession exactly when our model uh, predicts that should have happened. Uh, but we also know there's a lot of people who exited the labor force and did not go to train and acquire new skills. And that is, of course, uh, a source of concern because if the longer these people stay out of the labor force, um, the harder it is for them going to be to to reenter, um, if at all they're ever going to be able to. Yeah. So uh, there are two things that I found quite interesting in your paper that I want to highlight for a minute, and one is the finding that eighty-eight percent of job losses in the so-called routine occupations, such as bank tellers, manufacturing plant jobs, and office clerks. They happen during economic downturns, and this is a trend that's been going on since the mid-1980s. Um, and um, interestingly, this was also around the same time when innovation in automation also started to pick up. 
Can you tell me what uh, these two seem to be correlated? Are they? Right. So this is exactly kind of the main uh, kind of empirical fact that our model aims to explain or at least understand. And we were not the ones who who documented this uh, this fact, but this has become kind of an important. Um, important piece of information for for macroeconomists uh, to kind of wrap uh, wrap our heads uh, around the fact that this job polarization process seems to be uh, primarily happening during relatively short periods of time, which are uh, recessions. And this is really this recent last 20 to 30 year uh, phenomenon and particularly pronounced in the Great Recession, which of course was a the largest recession in quite a long time, but also to some extent showed up in recessions in uh, 1991 and, and 2001. Uh, and this is exactly kind of at the heart of uh, our our approach, trying to understand how is this kind of long run trend in the decline of routine jobs and the polarization of, uh, of jobs is related to the cyclical fluctuations in the macroeconomy. And typically, macroeconomists study those two things, sort of long-run uh, trends and the cyclical fluctuations, quite separately. And our uh, kind of effort and our innovation is to bring these two things together. And the logic of our model is is fairly simple. What we argue is that for, for a business to take advantage of the new technology, given that it already is operating the, the kind of old, less uh, uh, IT or automation-intensive uh, technology, uh, is costly. You have to potentially stop production. You have to hire some consultants and other uh, external uh, workforce to help restructure the business. You have to invest in the new equipment, um, and so on and so forth. So when are you likely uh, to undertake that uh, transformation? Well, more likely you're going to do it when demand for your product is relatively low and you don't need to have all these workers uh, producing. You can lay a lot of them off and and restructure your production in the hopes of uh, kind of economy recovering. So it's natural that uh, the, the, this, this process of restructuring from the old technology to the new technology will happen during economic downturns. And this is not by itself, a new idea, not not necessarily our idea. It goes maybe all the way back to sort of Schumpeterian uh, creative destruction. Uh, what is what is important, though, in, in our approach is understanding that when the newly restructured businesses actually come online, they will also need um, high-skilled workers, and they will need fewer lower-skilled workers. So what are the workers to do, those who, who are kind of laid off during this restructuring process? Well... Our model says that they should be using this time to go and acquire skills. Obviously, acquiring skills, human capital investment, as we as we call it in the economics lingo, uh, takes time as well as potentially somewhat costly. But again, the value of this time, the the opportunity cost of studying, is much lower during a recession when jobs are scarce and wages are low. So again, it's a natural time for workers to go and acquire skills. And again, as I said, we do observe that uh, post-secondary enrollment, for example, uh, spikes up during recessions. And in particular, this happened during the uh, 2008 uh, recession. Um, so to some extent, we see kind of empirical evidence of uh, of this mechanism of our model operating 
But as I mentioned earlier, of course, there are also a lot of the workers who did get laid off who did not use this time to acquire new skills. And uh, this is kind of outside of, uh, of our model, and it is an important question to understand why. So those are really um, important observations, but how do you apply your findings to the practical world? Like, what does it mean to workers, to companies, uh, to government policy, for example? Right, absolutely. This is, uh, uh, of course, important for all of those uh, constituencies. And uh, again, our model assumes that everybody's doing, quote-unquote, the right thing, and that the firms know that a recession is the optimal time uh, to, to restructure. Of course, it could be that if a recession is accompanied by you know, high, tightened access to capital, they may find it uh, difficult uh, to do so, although we do see that, uh, uh, for example, shipment of industrial robots uh, spikes up sharply uh, in the aftermath of the, of the Great Recession, kind of consistent with this idea that firms are uh, transitioning from uh, uh, from the old technology to the new technology, and there is also evidence uh, of unemployment that firms that shed workers during the Great Recession were hiring workers that are kind of higher skilled uh, subsequently. So it's it's probably the case that most firms know that this is the right thing to do and are already doing the right thing. The question is, do all the workers realize that? When a recession hits, uh, it is no longer uh, kind of a completely transitory phenomenon in terms of their job loss. The fact that if they do not acquire new skills while they are uh, unemployed or or even exiting the labor force temporarily, hopefully, um, they will potentially become unemployable subsequently when the economy uh, when the economy recovers. And uh, this is also, of course, an important lesson for, for the policymakers who may want to direct attention at uh, the, the, the problem of how do we get the people, the skills that they uh, need to kind of operate in this, uh, in this new economy and also, of course, help those who perhaps are, are, are too old or for other reasons are, are kind of unable uh, to acquire those skills and uh, maybe just kind of left uh, left behind permanently. For uh, perhaps our listeners or academics, um, can you tell us what sets your research apart from other work in this area? Right. Well, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of uh, macroeconomic research treats uh, these lost long-run tr- uh, growth trends very separately, very differently from cyclical fluctuations. And Uh, We argue that it is actually quite important to bring the two together because, as we see in in these uh, uh, recent decades, there's an important interaction between the long-run trend and the job polarization uh, uh, process and the cyclical fluctuations. And the fact that the Great Recession was a very large, uh, dramatic economic downturn, uh, it actually accelerated the the, uh, the, the of this technological transformation, but at the same time, the fact that this recession occurred during a, a fairly late phase of this technological transformation process also amplified the recession itself. And this is actually what our model uh, shows that when the recession strikes during a period of um, uh, active uh, restructuring, by amplifying the firm's uh, incentives to undertake. Uh, the restructuring at that time, it also amplifies the drop in output, which means a more uh, more dramatic, deeper recession. 
And so how will you follow up your research? So an important question that I uh, pointed out uh, earlier that uh, our uh, paper thus far does not does not address is what is happening to the workers who are not um, acquiring new skills after being uh, after being laid off, um, and kind of what to, what what explains that and and what to do about it. Um, again, as I said, the, the decline in labor force participation was uh, was quite dramatic and cannot be all uh, attributed to schooling people going to uh, let's say let's say college or, or or some sort of training program and uh, even though today the unemployment uh, rate is very low we also know that there is a large uh, chunk of the uh, of the population that is out of the labor force uh, after having exited the labor force during potentially the downturn uh, or, or or soon after. And it's not clear that this exit from the labor force is completely voluntary in a sense that uh, these people just decided that they didn't want to work anymore. Um, and and perhaps uh, some of it is driven by uh, kind of lack of the ability to acquire new new skills and lack of access maybe to the training options. But it also could be that um, not being employed is not uh, is not as painful as it uh, as it used to be. There is, a, there is evidence by a group of uh, macroeconomists showing that, in particular, uh, younger males now spend a lot more time you know, playing video games and you know, watching Netflix and so on. The quality of leisure that they enjoyed has increased dramatically relative to say twenty or thirty years ago, and so maybe they're not as incentivized as uh, uh, as they were before. To go out and acquire skills and uh, and get uh, and, and get these new jobs, uh, and it, it, it's very interesting to understand what is the role of this uh, of this phenomenon. We'll have to stay tuned. Thank you for joining us today. You can find more insights from Knowledge at Wharton on our website knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on iTunes. We welcome your comments and reviews. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.